Well, you may not know this, but I think that I'm a, a fairly young guy. Now, I don't know, you may look at me and think, God, you look pretty old. You don't have as much hair as uh, maybe you think I should have. But I'm, I'm not yet 30 years old. So, so a, a, few, um, a few years ago, I was in your seat in school, in, in, in high school, in, in junior high. And I think I was in the generation that um, was sort of a, a pivotal generation. I would imagine, now I'm going to pull you because it's so early in the morning, I, I need uh, some response from uh, from you all, is how many of you have phones? <laughs> you all have phones? I have a phone right here. Most of you, I'm imagining, have a phone. A phone that you can put in your pocket. Uh, I've got a smartphone when I was your age. Uh, we didn't have smartphones. We had these like um, plastic phones with just numbers. Okay, now, that was a pivotal generation, though, for me. I was, I think, right there at the beginning when, when you could actually get a cell phone and high schoolers and junior highers could start taking their phones to school. I'm not sure, I can't remember if I was supposed to take it to school. I don't know if you're supposed to have it at school or not. But we started to have cell phones, and now we have smartphones, you do all these things on it, and um, we've become so accustomed to this. So I was thinking a few weeks ago when I was traveling, I was traveling in an airport, and I came across a sort of a weird part of the airport along the wall, they had these metal things with uh, this plastic device with a cord and some some numbers and you took that and you, you put some coins in it and you could talk on the phone. You know what I'm talking about? Pay phones? How many of you guys have seen pay phones? Okay. So you're not you're not as young as what I was thinking you were. Pay phones. I mean, don't really have those anymore. I don't know if the rap Christian has pay phones anymore. This is that sort of a thing of the past. Now, if I were to go back even further, before payphones, they used to have these uh, phone booths. Um, in fact, I, I specifically am thinking of a red phone booth. Uh, in large cities, there'd be this, um, out on the street, a small building. I mean, basically, it was small enough that just one person could stand in it, and there was a payphone in there. You know what I'm talking about? Phone booth? Okay. Now, when I think of a phone booth, a red phone booth, and when you think of a red phone booth, who comes to mind? You can say it. Superman. Now, you might have said Clark Kent, right? Clark Kent is the normal guy on the street. He's got... Uh, black thick rimmed glasses and a suit and tie and all of a sudden something happens in wherever that city that he lived in, Metropolis or something like that. Some crisis happens and Clark Kent goes into a phone booth and he comes out Superman. He comes out a hero and what does Superman do? He saves the day. He fixes whatever the crisis is. Now this morning, I want to direct your attention to another hero. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I think you do, I want you to turn to the final book 
of the Bible. I want you to turn in your Bible to Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5. Now, 
In our day, we have most of our writing instruments are in books or uh, all the things that we would read are books. You have a, your Bible is a, is a book, it's a bound book. You might be able to read things on your, your iPad or your tablet. Back in John's day, even before books, they were on scrolls, this long sheet of paper that was rolled up, kind of like a roll of paper towels. And there is in a hand, in God's hand, a scroll. And in Revelation chapter 5 tells us that there is an angel, in verse 2, who is crying out and asking who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Now, do you want to know what's in that scroll? That's in God's hand on the throne. Do you think John wanted to know? John wanted to know what is this scroll that's sealed with, with seven seals that is in God's hand. And, and we, we know that, that John is, is, is curious to know more, more than curious, he is desperate to know because after the angel is proclaiming this throughout all of creation, verse 3 tells us. <coughs> That no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one. No one can open this scroll. So what does John do? What does John do according to verse 4? You can talk back to me. What, is, what does the Apostle John do? He weeps. And, and, and the text would have us understand that it's not just sort of a, a, a little bit of a sad, he's a little bit upset, but he's, he's desperately upset. He's, he's weeping because no one can open the scroll. And I bet you're sitting here this morning, and, and I might, as I remember first studying this text, sitting there thinking, why is the Apostle John so upset that this scroll can't be opened. So we need to understand this morning what the scroll means. What, what's the implications of, of this particular scroll? Why is John so desperate to have it open? Now, do you guys have a Bible survey class at Nebraska Christian? Just shake your head. You guys learn, you, I'm assuming that they teach you the Bible here. Do you have a book, do you have a study on the book of Revelation? No, not yet. Okay, some of you have, or, or you will have. The book of Revelation is the final book of the Bible, right? And, and if we would turn to the very end of the book of Revelation, we would see that all of God's purposes for the world and for history come to their consummation. The Bible describes it as a new heavens and a new earth. And what marks off the new heavens and the new earth is that God is there, and all of the redeemed are there. All Christians, all people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus throughout all of time and history are there, and, and all those who have refused the mercy and the grace of God are, are outside, who are, are, are suffering eternal judgment for sin. And, and the book of Revelation concludes with this wondrous reality of a, of a perfect world. And you know what that perfect world looks a lot like? The very beginning of the Bible. 
Garden of Eden. A lot of the imagery in the book of the end of the book of Revelation is very similar to the beginning of the Bible. And so, what's the scroll? Well, if we would read all the middle sections between Revelation chapter 5 and the very end, we would find that when, when the scroll is open, that God's purposes for the world are being carried out finally and fully. That is, until we get to, to the end of all time, until all of history is complete, the scroll needs to be opened. And, and these judgments that God has ordained for the earth have to take place. So before we wrap up all of time and history, the scroll has to be opened. So the scroll is God's plan to restore the broken earth. The scroll is, is God's plan to, to restore the, the broken world. Remember what I said at the end of Revelation, there's all of this imagery that reflects the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 to, to 2. And you remember, at the very beginning of your Bible, in the book of Genesis, Genesis tells of a perfect creation. Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with God. And what happened? What happened? It's one, it's one, I say it's a short word for three letters. It starts with S, it ends with N, and it has an I in the middle. Sin, sin entered the world. It entered the human race through, through Adam's disobedience. And because of that, from that day forward, sin has wreaked havoc on our world. If you pick up the newspaper, maybe pick up the, uh, the Omaha paper or the, the Lincoln newspaper, and you would read through that, what would you see? You would see that the world is broken, right? That, that, there, that there is someone here in this part of town who was murdered, you would see, you would read the paper, you'd see that this businessman was, um, did wrong, he stole from this company, now he's in jail. You'd see it, it's, it's a broken world. You can uh, drive down the road and you see a, a, an accident, a semi-truck hit a, hit a minivan. I remember a year or so ago, I was driving back from Colorado and I was on the interstate I-80 in Nebraska, and it was backed up forever, it seemed like, and I was stuck on the interstate because a semi-truck hit a minivan with a young family with two small children, and that whole family was killed instantly, and that semi-truck driver was just being negligent. When you see that, and you read about that on the news, and you think, this world is broken, these little children, children at the age of my children, you would think that, that they have all this life to live, and yet they were lives were taken from them because of some negligent semi-truck driver. This is a broken world that we live in. But boys and girls, there is the greatest illustration of the brokenness of our world is the condition of your heart. In the condition of my heart. 
The greatest evidence of the brokenness of, of our world is the, is the fact that as a human being, one person who is made in the image of God, my heart and your heart, apart from Christ, naturally spurns God. My inclination is not to worship my Creator. My inclination is to reject Him. And so, if I need evidence, and if you need evidence of how broken our world is, all you need to do is look inside and see your natural inclination to reject God's good rule in your life. I have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old son who... I think is a, a pretty cute little boy. His name is Micah. And he is a he's a, a cute, fun little boy to play with. But he is naturally inclined to go his own way. And for as cute and what, what we would think almost as innocent as small children are, I can see even at a young age that my son is naturally inclined to disobey me. That he does not want daddy's way, he wants Micah's way. And he's going to get it. So there's a crisis in our world. I want you to understand that from Revelation chapter 5, I want you to understand that from the, the message of the, of the whole Bible, is that there is a crisis in our world, and the crisis that sin has affected and John's weeping, his devastation in Revelation chapter 5 is because he wants to know how this devastation, how this broken world can be fixed. Right? This is every good superhero story. Because in every episode of Superman, something begins to fall apart, doesn't it? Something happens that somebody needs to step in. So what's the answer? What's the answer to the brokenness of our world? A government program? More education? If we just had little clones of Nebraska Christian everywhere, would that fix it? What's the, the answer to the brokenness of our world? Take your Bible again. Look with me to verse 5. John is weeping in verse 4. In verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What's the answer? A person. A, a person is the answer. Not, not a committee of, of the smartest people on earth. Right? Not uh, some government program. Not mere external moral change. But one specific person. And this person in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, we're not given his name, but we are given a description of who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know where that expression comes from? 
I'm going to take a poll. Does it come from the New Testament or come from the Old Testament? It comes from the Old Testament originally. From the book of Genesis. This is a prophecy where God promised a king. A king of all kings. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Here's another prophecy of a king. Of a king of, of all kings. A king with a perfect rule. This individual, who is this individual? We know him by name, Jesus. The answer to the crisis that sin is affected is Jesus Christ. And how is he, how is he the answer? Why is it that he can open the scroll according to verse 5? Look, look down at verse 5. I want you to, to think and, and I want you to, to answer this interpretive question in your head. Why is it that Jesus, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, can open the scroll? According to verse 5. It's because he's conquered. It says that, that he has conquered. Now what, is, what does that mean, he's conquered? Well, if you look back in earlier, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, it talks about Jesus Conquering by ascending to the throne of his Father. And so how is Jesus conquered? Well, throughout the New Testament, Jesus' conquering has come about in the fact that he was obedient. Jesus came to this earth, the second person of the Trinity, God. God of gods, from eternity past, he comes to this earth, he takes on human flesh, and he lives. And he lives in such a way that he never, ever, ever, ever disobeys God. God. He lives perfectly. He lives a perfect life. And the culmination of his obedience, according to the Apostle Paul, is that he goes even to the cross. And he dies upon the cross. And on the cross, he suffers judgment and condemnation for sinners like you and me. And he's placed inside the tomb. They take his body off the cross and they place him inside of the tomb. And in three days, God raises him from the dead. And he's seen by, by multiple people. And then he ascends to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, what does he do? He sits down at the right hand of the Father. And Revelation says that Jesus conquered. So Jesus can take care and can finalize and can consummate God's purposes for the earth because he died was buried and he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So the answer to the broken world that we live in is one person, Jesus Christ, and what he has accomplished. And so look with, look with me to see what, what exactly has Jesus accomplished. If Jesus is the, the hero of history, which the Bible proclaims that he is, what is it that he has done? Look at verses 9 and 10. 
there's a song that they're singing to Jesus. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So they're singing a song to Jesus, just like we sang some songs this morning. And they're attributing to Jesus worth, or they're saying that he's worthy to be worshipped, that, that he deserves to be acknowledged for who he is. And, and, he, and he says this, or the, the text says this, because he was slain, he was slain, he was killed. And the imagery there is, again, even as we saw just earlier in a few verses, is a lamb, right? A lamb that's led to the slaughter, a spotless lamb, the perfect Son of God, suffering death. But this isn't a pointless death, is it? Right? It's not a pointless death, maybe like I think of when I saw that accident on I-80. I think these people died and, and for nothing. No, but Jesus' death was effectual. It says, verse 9, by your blood you ransomed, you obtained, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So what does Jesus do? Jesus obeys God even all the way to the cross, and he dies. And on the cross, he spills his blood. And by the merit of Jesus Christ's blood, he redeems people. He buys them back. Now, what does that mean to be bought back, right? The, the, the imagery here is out of a, a slave market. And we don't, we, don't, we don't have that in our minds as a context where somebody's enslaved to someone, something. And you would come and you could... You could you could buy that person, and then you would basically become your slave. We don't, we don't have that as a context, but in, when Jesus' day, in John's day, that would have been a very uh, common thing to understand. So, we're enslaved. What are we enslaved to? Remember my son Micah? He's naturally inclined to go his own way. Micah's enslaved to sin, to the power of sin. And unless the Lord saves him, the penalty of sin sits above him, and his inclination is to be enslaved to sin, to serve Satan, right? To serve the, the father or the, the prince of the power of the air. So Micah's enslaved to sin and Every single person, apart from Christ, is enslaved to sin. But here's the good news. Jesus purchased redemption. That is, Jesus, by His blood, by His obedience to the Father, obtained so that those who trust in Him might be freed from this enslavement. That means that, that, that those 
who, 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 have, who have turned from their sin, who have embraced Jesus by faith, their slavery becomes rather slavery to rather from slavery to sin, but slavery to God. Slaves of Jesus Christ, a good master. And so Christ has redeemed people. Right? Not only is the world broken, but the people are broken. But what Jesus has done by coming to this earth is that he has made a way so that people, sinful, broken people like you and I, can be redeemed, can be made new again. And, and the evidence of this, verse 10, is that they make them, Jesus, on, he takes these people, he redeems them, he makes them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Verse 10, it talks about how part of being made new is this reality that rather than serving and being opposed to serving God, we love to serve God. Right? In the garden, Adam and Eve rejected the rule of God. And ever since that every single child of Adam and Eve rejects the rule of God apart from Christ. And yet Christ came as the hero of history to make all things new. And to do that by making it possible to ransom and to redeem people, to redeem people like you and me from the power of sin. And so what happens after this in Revelation chapter 5? What is it that we like about heroes? We like heroes because they save the day. And when they save the day, we're amazed and we're awed at them. We say, wow, Superman or Spider-Man or, or Batman or whoever, we're, we're just awed that they, they, they save the day. And Revelation chapter 5 concludes with how all of creation comes to this reality of Jesus being the hero of history, and they worship Jesus. And there's universal worship of Jesus. So why is Revelation 5 so significant? Why is it so significant? Because this is the big picture of the Bible. And if anything, if the Bible could have anything for you all as a seventh graders, all the way to 12th graders, seniors, getting ready to go out to college. What I would want you to understand is the big picture of the Bible. When I was your age, I used to think in terms of all these different Bible stories that I remember, right? I think of Joseph, the coat of many colors. I think of David. I think of Jesus calming the storm. I, I, th I saw all these different stories, but I missed the big picture. What's the Bible really about? Revelation chapter 5 tells us in crystal clear clarity that the, the big picture of the Bible is about God's plan to save a broken people and a broken world. And he does that through the most unusual means. For sending his son, to save on human flesh, to die on the cross, to suffer a a death that he might obtain for himself people. 
a renewed people. So the big picture of the Bible, perfect world, wrecked by sin, promise zero. Jesus had been promised for years and years and years before this, and finally he comes, and one day Jesus will consummate all of history. He will return as King Jesus, and we will have a renewed, perfect world. And Revelation chapter 21 and 22 tells us that there will never be any crying or tears, but only those who trust in Jesus will be found in that great city and in that new earth. So what? So what? After Revelation chapter 5, there's two words I want you to think of from Revelation chapter 5. Two words. Trust or terror. If Revelation chapter 5, if you understand it, and you see that Jesus is your only hope for salvation, and if you trust in Him, then, then John, the writer of Revelation, wants you to continue trusting in Him. John wants you to be sure that no matter what happens in the, on this earth, what happens in your life, that Jesus can be counted upon. That King Jesus will indeed one day return from heaven to make all things right. And you can trust and you can bank your entire life that Jesus is trustworthy. But if you read Revelation chapter 5, and you think, well, it's a nice story, but I don't necessarily find any credence in this passage. It's just like maybe a, a story like Superman or Batman. It's, it's interesting, but it's not compelling to me. I don't want to trust in Jesus. Then you need to think of the second word. You need to think of the word terror. Because there is a day that God has appointed when Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will bring judgment upon those who refuse to trust him. Those who are still enslaved to sin, who still think, like my son, that getting his own way is the best way. So, the grasp the Christian, boys and girls, what I want, want you to understand, what I want you to grasp from Revelation chapter 5, is that Jesus is the hero of history. And you can only have two responses at the end of the day to him. You can either trust him, or you can meet him on that day of terror when he comes to judge the earth. I pray that you would trust him. And that you would trust him that when you, you seniors, when you leave to go to college, that you would trust him more and more. And you would find in him the solace for your souls. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this wondrous reality that, that you have loved us, that you have loved this broken world that you have made, this world that is wrecked by sin, that you created perfect, and fell into sin, and, and has been over and over again just expressions and illustrations of the brokenness of sin. Lord, we see it. We see it in our lives, even perhaps at times in the classroom, but most of all, we see it in our hearts. And Lord, I, I pray for, for these young people who hear your word on a regular basis. I pray that they would 
truly see that brokenness in their own heart, that they would find in Jesus that compelling confidence that He is the answer for their sin problem, that Jesus can be trusted, that no matter what happens around us in our world, that we can trust that Jesus will be true to His Word, that He will return, and that He will take us to be with Him. So Lord, we thank You for, for Jesus. We thank You that He has obeyed You, even to the point of death, even going to the cross. We thank You for the blood by whose merits have, have ransomed us, all those who trust in You. Lord, we uh, pray that He would be honored in our lives today. Amen.